Well, in case uh, you don't know who I am, my name is John Bosma. I'm the pastor at Bethel Church that meets uh, here beforehand, uh, but it is good to be with you guys this morning. I'm grateful for the invitation to, to join you as well. Um, and so uh, hopefully my voice is a refreshing voice from Dave here this week. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's, it is good to be here. Um, at Bethel, we've been going through a series, um, the Bible book by book. Um, and so for that series, the goal has been to hear one message from each book of the Bible, to hear uh, what that book teaches us, but then also to see how it contributes to the larger story of Scripture. Um, so today we looked at the book of Ephesians, and I'd like to invite you um, to look at that with me this morning um, as well. Now, before we dive in, I do want to give kind of a, a quick overview of the whole book of Ephesians. Um, and a helpful resource for this, um, there's a, a man by the name Watchman Nee. Um, he was a Chinese church leader and Christian teacher in the early to mid-1900s. But he wrote this powerful little book about the book of Ephesians, and and. And in it, he breaks Ephesians down into three different movements. Um, he calls it sit, walk, stand. Right? And so he begins, he begins saying that Ephesians starts us off saying, let's sit before the face of God. Let's join him in his presence. Right? He, he'll emphasize that every Christian in their spiritual life, it begins from a place of rest sitting with Christ in heavenly places. For myself, I'm reminded of the story of Mary and Martha, right? I mean, Martha is trying to do it all, right? Trying to accomplish it all. And, and Mary is there just wanting to sit in front of Jesus. She just wants to sit before him and, and absorb all of who he is and all the things that are flowing out of his mouth. Ephesians is calling us to take the posture of Mary to say, come and sit at the feet of Jesus and just absorb all of who he is. After all, Christianity is unique in the sense that we do not begin with the word do, but with the word done. Right? God has already accomplished it all for us. He has already taken on the task. He's already claimed victory for us. And so our faith does not begin with the things that we have to do, but it begins by receiving the things that God has already done for us. And so Ephesians puts us in that posture. It starts us in that place by saying, first, rest in what God has done. Rest in, in the joy, in the hope, in the love that Christ sends for us. And so in Ephesians 1, it begins, Paul is saying, look, we are adopted into God's family. We get to participate in his inheritance. The things that he has, he now freely shares with us. The, the love, the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness, the everlasting life, right? These are the gifts that he has and he extends them towards us as we are now adopted into his family, right? And, and that's even life. Right? Ephesians 2 talks about how we are dead to our transgressions, that without him we are left in this world of death, but that with him we are brought into life, that we are made alive through Jesus Christ. 
because it is by grace and, and through faith that we are saved and not by works. And so it is the death and the resurrection of Jesus that brings us from death to life. And so I invite you to come and to sit before him, to absorb that grace, mercy, love, and life. The next movement after sitting before God, after spending that time just absorbing who he is, Ephesians then moves us to walking. And it says that as we see who God is, as he takes place and begins to transform our lives, he then sends us out to go into the world around us, to go and, and transform the world around us. That we are to take the gifts that we've received, the the equipping that God has laid on our own hearts into the world around us. And so we receive first, we begin by absorbing, and then we go and we walk and we share that with others. The final movement then of the book of Ephesians is standing. And this is standing in defense against the enemy. Right, this is where Paul is saying, look, after we've done those things as well, there's going to come a time in all of our lives in which we are going to face the enemy. Some might be little moments, some might be big moments, but all of us are going to come face to face with the enemy. And for that, Ephesians says we are to put on the armor of God. Right, that we are to equip ourselves with, with the things that God has placed in our lives to to have the word of the Lord, the helmet of salvation, right? The breastplate of righteousness, that we are to put all of these things on as we stand in defense against the enemy. So we have these three movements, the sit, the walk, and the do. And I want to now invite you to dive a little bit deeper as we look at the end of Ephesians chapter three. This is considered the, the turning point of the book of Ephesians. This is when we are going to be moving from uh, sitting into walking. So this is really the last encouragement to sit before the Lord. So hear now the word of the Lord from Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in, the, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As we begin here today, I'd like you to, to maybe think about your relationship with God. And if you had to put yourself in some sort of visual picture as you think about your relationship with God, what would it look like? 
What is the shape that it would take for you? Maybe, maybe you imagine yourself sitting next to God uh, as he sits on his throne. Right? You know that you've been equipped and empowered and that he's raised you up higher than, than the angels, right? And so he has lifted us up and so you see yourself there. Maybe you imagine yourself sitting at a desk in the classroom of Jesus with he, the teacher and you're just there taking notes, trying to absorb all of the knowledge that he is pouring out to you. Maybe you imagine yourself a little bit more like Zacchaeus, maybe a bit unworthy to get too close and yet you're fascinated by who this Jesus is and, and so you wanna go out of your way just to get a look at him, to get a glimpse of him and maybe he'll even pass by closely. Maybe back in the throne room, you imagine yourself entering in and you see Jesus sitting on the throne and and you imagine yourself falling on your hands and knees before him, begging for his mercy, as you know that you have betrayed him time and time again. Maybe you imagine yourself at a dining room table, sitting there sharing a meal with Jesus as though he is one member of your family or a good friend that you know very well. Or maybe you view yourself hiding in the shadow afraid to, to fully step into the light. I don't know if, if those of you who know the painting from Rembrandt of the prodigal son, all right, there's the father who is embracing the, the younger son who has come back to him and, and the light is shining boldly on those two, but hiding in the shadow is the elder son, right? Maybe got these looks of judgments whether he's still debating whether the son should have been forgiven or not. Or maybe he's just saying, I don't know if I still want to get too close myself. As you think about your relationship with God, I'm curious what images come to mind for you. Right? There's all sorts of different visualizations we could have as we think about ourselves before God. Right? And <clears throat> The reality is at different points in our lives, different visual images might come to mind. There are seasons of our lives where we say, you know what, I am coming before him, just begging for his mercy. Maybe there are other seasons where you say, I am sitting at that meal, having a conversation with a friend. Right? Those images might change from time to time, but, but today I want you to think I want to maybe visualize yourself crawling up onto the lap of God as one of his children, just wanting to be nowhere else except sitting in his lap, curled up in his arms as he lovingly embraces you. Recently, Riley, my daughter, right, she has asked to, to be rocked before going to sleep. Right? And, and, and this is most clearly a, a stall tactic. Right? She's just trying to delay having to, to go to sleep. And so she, uh, before we're ready to lay her down, she says, rock time. Right? She, she just wants us to, to hold her like she's still an infant, right? even though she's now two and her legs are spilling off the side. But we hold her and we, we sit in that rocking chair and, and we just rock. And 
It's turned out to be some of the most precious moments. As Riley looks up at either my wife or I, and, and she just shares about the things that happened in her day. Right? And in her own limited language, she begins to tell us about the, the people she interacted with. She begins to tell us about some of the activities she did, maybe one of the, the, the toys that she played with. But as we sit there, it's just taking it all in, right? We just acknowledging this, that she, she's sharing and pouring out her life to us, just even the, the small little things, it is, it's this beautiful moment. And then what I find fascinating is almost every time, maybe not every time, but pretty close, at some point she gets distracted by our faces. Her two-year-old self begins to reach up towards us and, and, and lays her hands on our faces, acknowledging every body part as she does so, right? She touches and she goes, eyes, nose, cheek. It's as though she's looking up at us and saying, look, before I go to bed, I want to remember who you are. I want to take in every part of you. Like, I don't want the memory of this to go away. I just, I feel the love you pour into me and I want every bit of it. It's before I go to sleep, I don't want to forget your face. Right? The intimacy of this moment here is, is Riley is completely trusting us, that she's resting in our arms. She looks up at us, trying to take in all our facial features so that she doesn't forget us looking down at her with complete joy and love. Right, we love that moment. We love being able to just be there with her. And even if she's talking about some of the most boring parts of her day, it's a joy for us to hear it. As I read this passage in Ephesians chapter 3, I, I wonder if Paul is asking us, and inviting us to crawl up onto the lap of God. If he wants us to have a, a relationship with that level of intimacy, with trust and love, right? he wants us to be sitting there on his lap, reaching up and, and touching the face of God, saying, God, I just, I wanna take in all of who you are. I don't wanna forget any aspect of you. And it's before I go into whatever is next for me, Whatever season of life comes next, God, I want to hold on to you. I want to see you. I want to know you. I don't want to forget any parts of who you are. Now, I can admit that this is not a posture that is always easy for us to take. This isn't always a, a, a thing that we maybe naturally experience of saying, you know what, I, I do imagine myself in these places of humility, right? It's being held like an infant in God's arms, completely helpless in my own strength, completely trusting in all of who God is. Or for me recently, <clears throat> excuse me, I started um, seeing a, a spiritual director here earlier this year. Uh, a spiritual director is really somebody that, that is just there to ask you questions and to help journey with you on your faith, to help you see who God is on a deeper level and to, to rest in his sustaining presence. Well, as I've had some of these conversations, it, it became clear that, 
that I most naturally connects with God in my mind, right? That I know him mentally or theologically. I can wrap my mind around some things and maybe I feel closest to him when I learn something new out of a book that I've recently read. For me, probably the most natural image is to think about myself sitting at a desk with Jesus as the teacher, just letting him pour out the knowledge and me trying to say, I want to take it all in. But the challenge of this spiritual director is saying, I want to move you to a place where you begin to see God as your friend more often. That he's not just this theological concept that is out there, but that he is He's somebody in which you have that intimate relationship. That he's somebody you turn to, you go to, right? You use the language hunger for God here, right? That he's somebody you say, I just want to be with. I want to know. He's somebody I need to share the joys with, share the sorrows, the pain of my life with. So I think this prayer from Paul is a powerful one. As he invites us into that space. Right, as he says, come and rest before God. Now, part of this prayer, he says, is that he prays that together with all the Lord's holy people. I think that's important parts of this prayer. Because faith isn't something that we are meant to journey on alone. Right, we want to. I think we most naturally lean to that, right? And even a lot of the ways, and the church encourages us to, to, to go and do devotions and have these personal relationships with God. And this is important. I want you all to have that as well. But that can't be a substitute for having a communal relationship with God as well. We walk by ourselves and we fall in a pit. We have nobody to help us out. But in community, we have people to be alongside us, somebody to help fall us or pick us up before we fall, right? to be there, to give warning signs of things to come, to help journey with us, to encourage us, to support us, to, to be there with us. And so Paul, he, his prayer is that together with all the Lord's holy people, with the community around you, right? He wants us to be in this community. And maybe this is a really helpful reminder for us as a church as well. That we are to be on the lookout for those who are isolated and alone. For those who are journeying by themselves in their own spiritual walks whether they're close to God or far from him, we are to, to be on the lookout for people who are isolated and alone to then journey with them. I mean, isn't that what Christ models and talks about when he shares the parable of the lost sheep? He's like, I, the shepherd goes after that lost sheep. He searches for it. He knows it's out there and he doesn't just wait for it to, to wander on back. No, he goes after it. And so I think this is a reminder for the church. If community is important, if we are to walk with others, then we are to go and search for those who are walking along alone. And to say, you know what, I want to walk with you. And walking with you means that I 
am not just there for you, but I'm also going to share the things in my own life with you. Right? That that goes both ways. That I open myself up to you. I will share of my own pain and suffering so that you can journey with me as I then also journey with you. Now, some of you too might be thinking to yourself, I am the isolated and alone person. It's amazing how often we can feel alone even as we are surrounded by people. And my hope is that the church is chasing after you, that they are seeking for you. But my encouragement to you is to don't just wait passively for them to find you, but to also go and find them, to to push for them too, to seek for that community that you can go and be a part of. And there's a vulnerability that's required with this. There's a part of this that's gonna say, I'm gonna have to open myself and trust that others are gonna hold me as well. So church, it is our calling to go and to search. But if you find yourself isolated and alone, tell somebody and invite them into that. Invite them to come and to be around you as well. And then together, as a community, as the communities that God has placed us in, let us crawl up onto the lap of God and begin to grasp just how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This love of Christ is one that is shown to us throughout Scripture time and time again right in our own book that we're looking at right now, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, it says that it is because of God's great love for us that we are made alive in him. One of my favorite passages is Romans 5, 8, where it says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we are sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't look to us and said, you know what, before I can love you, you have to get your life all together. But he said, no, while you are a sinner, I'm chasing after you. I love you. And I'm willing to die on the cross for you. Jesus was willing to sacrifice it all for us. Christ, who is God, yet did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he made himself nothing, being made in human likeness. And he humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. That's Philippians 2. The limits of God's love are extraordinary so much so that he's willing to die on the cross. He's willing to humble himself to be there for us, to die on the cross for us. And so the limits of God's love are beyond our reach, and yet Paul asks us to reach for him. He asks us to crawl up on the lap of God and to begin to experience the comfort of his arms. He wants us to reach up and touch God's face and say, I just want to know you a little bit more. I don't want to forget the glimpses of you that I've seen. And so Paul says to know a love 
that surpasses knowledge. This is deliberately paradoxical, right? To know a love that surpasses knowledge. Right? He's saying here, he's like, look, we are called, or he, his desire is that we know the love of God. But the more we begin to know the love of God, the more love we'll find there is yet to be known. Right? And so he's inviting us to be on this unending journey of continuing to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. It is a love that, is, that isn't exhaustible. Right? It's, a, it's a well that can never run dry. God himself is infinite and eternal, which means that the resources he has are also infinite and eternal. And so we don't need to fear asking too much from God because there is no limit to what he can give us. We can draw from the well of his love for eternity and there will always be more. God can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. I think if we were to all put our minds together, collectively brainstorm about all the things we think God could do, we could come up with some pretty incredible things. Right? I mean, God has blessed us with incredible minds and imaginations to think about all of these possibilities, and yet God can do more. In fact, God can do so much more that we can't even measure what that is. Right? I think about it this way, that if, if you were saying, God, you know what, I'm asking you for 10, and then God gives you 12, you don't say, God, I never even thought that was possible, but I'm thankful for the extra two. Now, God says, when you ask for 10, I'm giving you a number that is so great that your mind can't even fully wrap around it. And so you cannot even measure the difference of what I can do for you, of the love that I can extend to you. It is immeasurable that he can do that much more than we can even ask or imagine. Right? There is no limits to who he is. And so this is the great God that we have this is the God that Paul says, come and sit and rest. Know this God that loves you in ways that you could never even imagine. Now, this is the transition point for Ephesians. Right after this passage, we begin to get into the walk Paul's then sending us out. He's been showing us how we're equipped to go into the world around us. But he says it all begins by sitting with him. We can't go in our own strength. We have to go with God, which means we need God to dwell in our hearts. That's part of his prayer in verse 17, that God might dwell in our hearts. And this word dwell here isn't that God is just a visitor passing through. Right? He's not saying that I hope God enters your heart so that you see him for a moment, that you experience him from a moment, and that then he then disappears from your life. The word dwell is to say to take up permanent residency. 
It's saying that I want God to permanently reside in my heart, to begin to reshape the foundation of my life so that everything that comes out of my life comes from the foundation of the Lord, that it is built upon him inside of my heart. So it all begins by letting God dwell in our lives. As he takes up that permanent residency, as he makes himself known to us, we begin to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And so as you are here today, my challenge for you is that, that the visualization of crawling up under the lap of God might be something that can happen more often in your life. Right? Again, there's going to be seasons with different things. Right? And so maybe there's a season now where God's asking you to hunger for him, to come and sit on his lap and just absorb all of who he is. And maybe after that, he's going to send you to go and be a soldier in his army, to march out for him and his kingdom. And and that that'll be a, a, a difficult and tiring season to which he then invites you back to come and rest on his lap once again. My challenge for you is that that moment of hungering for the Lord, of resting in his loving embrace and just experiencing him can be something that happens on a more regular basis. We cannot pour into the world unless we acknowledge that Christ is pouring into us. We will run empty and dry if we try to run in our own love. But when we connect ourselves to him, when we sit in his lap, that's when God uses us in ways that we could have ever asked or imagined. So my prayer for you today is that you would begin to grasp just a little bit more, a little bit more of the knowledge of his love than you previously had. Will you pray with me today? Loving God, God, we do come here today and we pray that we are experiencing your love in new and amazing ways. God, you are constant in the fact that you are pouring out your love over and over and over again. Even in the difficult times, even as we walk through dark valleys, you are with us. Your rod and your staff comforts us. Or as we sit in a green pasture, enjoying the gifts that you have given us, God, we know that you are there. You are a God who loves us in ways we could never even begin to dream of. But God, help us. Help us to see a little bit more of that love. Place us in communities that will encourage us, equip us, support us. And that God, together, that together we might crawl up on your lap and experience your love. 
a love that is wider than any land we might be on, that is deeper than any ocean we might, we might look at, that is taller than any mountain we might imagine, God, that is longer than around the globe over and over. God, you are a loving God. Help us to know your love more and more each day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.